Welcome to the Larry Kreider's Leadership Podcast. Larry is the author of over 40 books, the founder of Dove International, a worldwide family of churches and ministries in six continents, and has over 50 years of leadership experience. He and his guests will share inspirational leadership insights from their journey with God. These insights, gleaned from serving leaders in many nations, will transform your life and leadership. For more information on Larry's books and resources, visit LarryKreider.com. Welcome to the Larry Kreider Leadership Podcast. Great to have you here again today. We, I am privileged to be here today with my friend Dale Mass from Dover, Delaware, who travels the nations. Dale, thank you for joining me for this Leadership Podcast. I've been looking forward to it. Well, good. Well, what we do, Dale, on this podcast is there are so many leaders I meet who are younger leaders, and, and they love to have conversations and hear from more seasoned leaders about things they've learned in leadership. And so I have the opportunity, because I often have these conversations behind the scenes, sitting on airplanes, meeting in nations, whatever. I often have these conversations with leaders, but others don't get a chance to listen in. So I'm going to ask you questions about leadership today, because you're a proven leader in the body of Christ. You've served the nations. And, and so we can all learn together. We focus on Sometimes just small things in leadership that we change that make a massive difference if we really obey God in this area of leadership. So are you ready? I've got some questions for you. Yes. All right. Well, first of all, let's just talk about you a bit. So we, uh, many of those who are listening today, would not. some know you, some would not know you. You're in Dover, Delaware. Is that where you grew up? Uh, I grew up in Greenwood, Delaware. Okay, I know where that is. Sure. Raised in a Mennonite home. Mennonite home, that's yes. amazing. My father had a lumber business, and I was going to take over it. And my second year of college, I was spirit-filled, and uh, I came home and I said, Dad, I know I'm called into the ministry. And what did your dad say? He said, I know it too. Go for it. Really? That's amazing. You know, I had a similar experience because I grew up in a chicken farm, so to speak. Uh -huh. And, you know, when I got, you know, God totally transformed my life and Jesus became my Lord and became a missionary for a bit and came back and got involved with my dad on the farm. Eventually, all these people came to Christ. We're going to start this church. I had to tell my dad the same thing. He was very gracious and said, you know, he affirmed me. Even though he really wanted me, I knew, to, to head up the family farm, but that wasn't an option. So you've been involved in leadership now for many, many years. So I'm sure you learned some things in this early years. So what happened after that? Did you go, what did you do? What was ministry to you? Did you start a church or what happened? Well, after I was spirit-filled, I actually went down to Ocean City, Maryland, under the Allegheny Conference to do an outreach to young men and women who were runaway on drugs in the early 70s. Really? And uh, that was an education within itself. As we were there, that ministry continued for another 15 years okay. based on what we created. And it kept on going and it morphed. And then finally, uh, the Allegheny Conference closed it down, but kept relationships there okay. uh, with that ministry. And Allegheny Conference, that was a Mennonite conference, Mennonite, right? Yes. Okay. So you spent all those years. So you learned a lot during those years, I'm sure, in that outreach. So what are some things you learned during that time that you remember? Well, it was actually three months. We really? launched it. Then it became a year-round program. They I were just see. doing it to try to reach the youth. I see. And it morphed into a total program. Okay, I understand. So I want to go back to when I was spirit-filled. Yes, please. I did not see myself as a leader, but what I did do, I was a great follower. Okay. And I feel that was the foundation 
for me to become a leader. That's a great leadership principle. Become a good follower, and then that sets you up to become a good leader. Yes. As a matter of fact, I saw some other young men that were more gifted in leadership to, than me. Sure. But they were always up front leading. And it's interesting, after decades, some of them are not even, I don't take any joy. Some sure. of them just sitting at home, not going to church. Wow. And what I found out was because they came into their own too soon, they really forgot what it was about or something. I It was during the early charismatic movement. Sure. So the most gifted person talking sort of took a natural leadership. Sure. But the part I want to focus on is it became imperative at a certain point, even after I was a pastor, that I understood I was a leader to leaders because I didn't see myself that way. Sometimes I, I did not take on the assignments that God put in front of me because I was sort of a natural leader who didn't understand I was. Okay. So what I, I'll talk some more about that, but this is a part I want to get to. Some of you young men and women, you think you're not a leader because, but you have not hit your growth curve. That's if good. you keep on following and you have a desire to build up the body of Christ, mm -hmm. you are on track to be a leader. Some people want to build up their ministry and they're off track. That's good. But if you want to build up the body of Christ, you'll never miss it, no matter what your level of leadership is. And I put it like this in my uh, one book, The Throne of sure. David. Everybody who is serving is leading somebody, and everybody who's leading is serving a lot of people. That's so good. you never get out of it, leadership or servanthood. It's part of who Jesus is. So, so good. Talk to me about how that was applied to your life. Like as you came, you, you just mentioned you were a pastor. Yeah. You know, what happened between those early days in the outreach and you becoming a pastor? What did that look like? Well, first of all, this is funny. You'll love this. Uh I being Mennonite, uh, my draft number was like uh, like was two hundred and seventy five. Yes. I didn't have to go, right? But I wanted to because I didn't know what to do next. Okay. So I told the Lord. I said, "Well, I want to be a community worker. I don't want to work in a a hospital, sure. be orderly, and I don't want to be a janitor." So I go out to California, and I'm a community worker. And three months after that, they close it down, and the church that sponsored it had a elementary school in Inglewood, California, and they asked me to be their janitor. Really? After I told God what I didn't want to do, <laughs> he actually made it a point of interest between him and me. And uh -huh. I said, I'll do it. Well, after that, I served as a youth pastor in that church. Then I came back and I served as a youth pastor in my father's church. And uh, he, he had started out the charismatic movement. Mm -hmm. And then I was a youth leader, worship leader, elder, assistant pastor, wow. and then pastor in 1983 at 30 years old, I was pastoring and I was ready to save the world. I didn't realize Jesus had sent other people as well. <laughs> and so that fervor is what you need. But in the end, what we start understanding as we work toward fatherhood, that it is networking with people. It is not just what I can do. It's what can we do together. Okay. Let's talk more about that. That's a key leadership principle. It's realizing it's not just you and Jesus, but it's who are those people God's connecting you with to do it together. Talk more about that. Well, Michael Jordan cannot beat a high school basketball team by himself. Right. That's average. He cannot right. run the court that long, that far, the whole yeah. game. So what it tells me, he is the most outstanding basketball player, but he actually needs a team to right. win. And... 
Actually, if you look at the history, when Michael Jordan had the highest scoring records, they lost. But when he helped other people score, right. they started winning championships. That's exceptional. He elevated the game of everybody else because he realized if he even made more shots, they were not going to win. Yes. Now, this is the deal that what you are, you pass on, sticking with the Chicago Bulls of those of you right. know basketball. I remember those days well. Okay. Do you know the guy that would uh, name Steve Kerr, who they bring in the fourth quarter? You sort of remind me of him. He was shorter. Uh-huh. In the fourth quarter, they bring him in. He'd start shooting three points. Yeah. Because the big guys were too slow, tired. They were half a step slower, so he would not get his shot blocked. Interesting. Okay? So he'd start popping in three points. What happens when he becomes a coach? He raises up Stephen Curry, who becomes a three-point king wow. of basketball, wow. because what he was, he imparted. That is beautiful. So impartation, there's something else that you learned. Now, I'm sure you received impartation from others. And, of course, you give impartation mm-hmm. to many. Any stories from your life? Because this is leadership. I mean, I've, yeah. gone to many, I've had many people lay their hands on me over the yeah. years and, and pray for me and impart it to me, you know, gifts of faith and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. How about you? Well, you know, I did. And uh, I remember the first person, uh, Luke Weaver, under I Gerald Durstein. Oh, I knew Luke, sure. And he laid hands on me and prophesied over me about my ministry. There were different other people that prophesied over my life before we recorded the prophetic words, but it's amazing what came to pass. And, you know, as a prophet and a father, I say, I can prophesy over you, but I cannot put the passion in you it's going to take to reach that prophetic word. Right. Because a word is an opportunity, the passion and the intimacy with him yes. is what brings it to pass. Say that again. That is really, really good. Say that again. The, the passion yeah. for him is what yes. brings our prophetic words to That's pass. so good. This is not where it's been said it has to happen. Uh-huh. And we have to actually pursue the things of the Lord uh, with purpose. I find this, if people really do not have an intimacy with Father God, they do not have an an authentic authority. That is true. Because my authority is based in my relationship with him. I find it very interesting. Jesus said to the people, he said, listen, uh, you may not believe uh, that that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's saying this to Philip. How long have I been with you? If, right. When you look at me, you see the Father. If you don't believe what I'm saying, look at the miracles I do. So the intimacy of the yes. Father was, he was saying, the birthing fruit of that was miracles. Yeah. That's such, a, that's such an important concept of life general, but especially leadership, intimacy with the Father, connecting with the Father. Now, you've mentioned your prophecy and those kind of things. and I mean, for years, you were known as a clear prophet in the body of Christ. You still are today around the world. I know mm-hmm. you do. You're also involved in apostolic ministry. Uh, talk to us about how did you find out you could prophesy or that you were a prophet? Walk. Walk us through that process. I'd love to hear that. I've never heard this story. Well, when I started off in 1983, I thought I was a pastor who would prophesy now and then. (laughs) One Sunday, I got three words, and one was, I saw steel in a man's leg. And this man comes up to me and said, I fell off the end of a World War II plane. It crushed my entire leg. And he pulled his hip to the side. He had steel rods that went all the way down to his knee. And I could feel the bolt on top. A little bit scary. But anyway, he was happy to show it to me. And then I saw uh, there was another word, but I had a last word, twitching eye. And nobody 
nobody came forward. Sure. And I saw his twitching eyes. I thought, well, and they went got they went back and got the uh, the girl that was working in the nursery who had a twitching eye. Wow. And it was actually I didn't know it. It was my sister in law, but I didn't know she had a twitching eye. So through the whole thing, I saw myself as a pastor who would prophesy. Right. When I met Bishop Bill Hammond in nineteen ninety, right. and I was ordained with him, he prophesied to me I was a prophet who would pastor. And it was like, you just turn a baseball cap around wow, on my head because yeah. I was a pastor who prophesied. But now he said, I'm a prophet who pastors. So now this is where we have to understand identity forms our assignments. Right. So when he made me a prophet that pastored, that meant that God was going to ask me what I did with my prophetic gift before he asked me what I did with my church. The church was still important, but it was not number one in my identity, nor number one in my assignment. Now, this is the way I put it. When I have that, so being a prophet would have been like 99%. Pastoring the church would have been 95%. Okay. It's not a it's not a 70 30. Oh, it's it's, how, it's helpful. A, it's a priority mm-hmm. of realizing mm-hmm. that it's that being a pastor is not the most important thing I'll do and because when I answer to God, I answer by call. Right. But it's important I do it well. Yes. So in it some people you say, "Well, I'm not called, but it's important you do it well." If you don't serve at the level you're at, God will never trust you with the next level because you have a, you have an integrity issue that you'll serve well when you get the position. That and is that really good. is not based in intimacy with the Father. That is role performance oriented. Okay, so if you don't serve well, that's a great leadership principle for any age leaders, obviously, but especially younger leaders, just learning leadership. If you don't serve well, then God cannot take you to the next level in what he's called you to do. That's what you're saying. Yeah, Yeah, because because the way I serve at any level is the way I will serve at every level. Right, right. So you now... Or you're back in that, in your 30s, I'm assuming, or 40s. I'm not sure what, I would have been, when this all happened. See, I have to figure that out. 90, 52, I'd have been 38. <laughs> do the math, okay. Yeah. Okay, you do the math, 38, and you're pastoring a church. You realize you got this prophetic call in your life, and you're a prophet who's pastoring. And talk about how God opened doors and what happened, what you learned after that. Because, I mean, you went from pastoring a church, speaking prophetically, Bill Hammond prophesying over you, uh, to then having a really a global ministry because you've mm-hmm. prophesied all over the world. I mean, you've been a great blessing to our family of churches. And, you know, you've prophesied over people even throughout the world. I mean, mm-hmm. you prophesy on, online. I mean, it's been amazing. Mm-hmm. So talk to, to me about how that happened. How did God open that door for you? And what did that look like? Well, first of all, the Bible says your gift will make room for you. Right. We don't make room for ourselves, but the gift that God gives us, if we'll use it, yes, it will make room because two reasons to me. There's probably more, but I'm going to mention. Sure. Number one, when I move into the gift, I move into the anointing. Right. And I move into what's been entrusted with me. And if I'm not faithful with that gift, then I can lose it. Mm. Use it or lose it. Right. I really believe this, that if I start using it more, God will give me more. This is a leadership principle. That's a great principle. If you don't use what you have, yes. you will not get what you're dreaming of. Say that again. That's so powerful. If you're not using the gifts you have, yes. you're not going to get 
the position or the gifts you're dreaming of. Wow, that's good. Because God does not give better gifts to the lazy, the disinterested, or the ones that are waiting for the big deal. Right. Because the big deal's him, not our ministry. <laughs> He's exactly right. <laughs> so we have to get very practical. And, you know, I have to remind myself, like when I go to speak still, and, you know, somebody might not know the math, but I'm now 68 years old. But when I go to speak in a church, often I'll get on my knees and two different things. Sure. One is I want to make sure that pride doesn't set in right. from my success. Right. Because success is can be enamoring. That's true. And actually, we can get more excited about our success than about our intimacy. So that's on a personal level. Yes. And I find that all of our flesh is corporately flaky. Mm -hmm. Unattended, it will turn to pride (laughs) and arrogance. You know? Very true. Okay. So I'm just saying, I don't trust my flesh, but I do trust the spirit God's put in me. So I I keep breaking my flesh to make sure that I kill the old man daily. And, yes. and God helps me in between. And some, if God doesn't help me, well, my wife is a willing <laughs> accomplice. Anyway, so we work together. And I have leaders and friends that will speak into my life. Sure. And, you know, and, and uh, I find it's very, very important. I'll just make a little segue here. If we are not teachable, we should stop teaching. That is true. Because it's a spirit. Mm-hmm. And what I find, the best teachers are the most teachable because they always want to learn. Yes. The people that don't want to learn are actually insecure. They're defending their position instead of growing with God. That is true. And this, these are things that make the biggest difference in a person's ministry. People think it doesn't, but you go 15 years, 15 years down the road where you don't receive from other people. Yeah. Uh, I've had, I've had teenagers say something they don't even know that god used them right and what they said then the holy spirit said well what are you going to do about that well <laughs> well lord they're not in the fivefold he said but i spoke through that that's right now what are you going to do with that that's right and and i'm not saying they were even correcting me they said something they had no knowledge there was no attitude but when they said it i heard his voice echo yeah and he said i sent that person here to tell you something are you going to deal with it and i said yes sir you know uh-huh. it doesn't matter that I am their pastor. I'm teachable. And we know this. When people aren't teachable, what they're saying is, I know it all. And there's Mm -hmm. one thing we know. Nobody knows it all except him. And when I stop learning, I actually start losing the spirit of revelation. Right. It's so important. Like when we were talking on the phone the other day, we're discussing ideas, things we know from the Word of God. Uh, we weren't trying to prove anything. Right. We were just we're saying, let's talk about this and mm-hmm. get a spirit of revelation. Correct. That is so key to, I find, between fathers. Yes. Because that's what takes, I believe, takes fathers to the level of the greatest fruitfulness to be able to converse with other fathers, mm-hmm. not having to prove their ideas over another, but right. saying, where could we come together right. and actually gain a synergy that would build the kingdom mm-hmm. for the next generations? Yes, that's powerful. Talk to me about a revelation that you've had over the years on how we're called to be fathers of fathers and mothers of mothers, and, and just talk to me about that for a bit. Okay, so some of it's terminology, so if... If I would use different terminology, then you can, uh, I'll explain just a couple things. Sure. When I say fathers, I'm not talking a gender, just like the bride of Christ. Right. I'm not talking a gender. I'm talking about an anointing. Okay. Okay. So father's birth, that means uh, because there's neither male nor female, Greek right. or Jew, that means a woman can birth too. Sure. Now in it, as we understand the father's anointing, mm-hmm. that literally the 
part of it is you birth. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of what we've done in the church is we birth sons, but really the truth is God is the one who births the son, and my job is to make that son a father, not make him a son. That's good. Okay, so what happens is if I'm, let's say I'm 68, and I let's go back uh, 20 years, yeah. and there's somebody 48. Mm-hmm. If I will not let him, if I'm not raising him to be a father, right. his generation will be fatherless until he gets as old as me. Right. Okay, 48. Let's go back another 20. 28. Mm-hmm. Okay? If I will not start training him how to father his generation, that generation was out without a father until they're gray hair or no right. hair. Right. So what is happening, now this is the deal. As, and this is partly in theory. This is that as a grandfather would talk to a father who would talk to the grandson, if you follow what I'm right, saying. I do. You keep fathering down. Now, what mm-hmm. doesn't happen, the grandson doesn't tell the grandfather what mm-hmm. he should do. Right. Or his father, but he can share conversation. Right. But the authority flows down. Mm-hmm. And the problem is we have not wanted to make the grandson start becoming a father to his generation because the the, the pattern is they'll start talking, telling the grandfather what he should do. Yes. So his job is to honor the grandfather, honor the father, but father his generation, not father them. Right. And so if we understand that, I am not raising my sons to be my sons. I'm raising them to be the father That's of my grandchildren. So right. So right. So what I find is we know that A produces A, C produces C. So if you're a father, that anointing, Mm -hmm. you can't help but producing other fathers. Right. But in a lot of people's mindsets, religiously, if I raise up my son to be a father, he can't be a father till I die in the church, Mm -hmm. but yet he can be a father in his family before I die, Mm -hmm. but not in the church. So have we taken a a stupid pill? Right. Okay. I'm saying right. I want my son to father. I, I, if he calls me up and asks me my opinion, sure, that's fine. But I expect him to father right. his children right. the same way I fathered him. Right. And, you know, in this, there's only one perfect father, and that was Father God. That's so his true. His first family was the Garden of yeah. Eden, and the husband and wife blamed each other. The first son yeah. killed the second. Right. And that's God, the perfect father. Right. So get over it. Nobody <laughs> is a perfect father, right. but God will perfect through those that's right. who love him. Mm. And so we have to get over the fact of where is our maturity level and who's our assignment. Mm. I want to just give a little thing to somebody who's 28 years old. Okay. When I was 14, there were 28-year-olds that were fathering me. They didn't even know it uh-huh. because they were cool. Yeah. Maybe they're 21. Sure. sure. I'm 14. They're 21. Right. They're cool because they have a car. They yeah. have a girlfriend. They have yeah. a job. They have money. Yep. And I thought, man, I can't wait till I get to the top. Yeah. And I get a girlfriend, a car, and a job. <laughs> thinking that's all. I couldn't, I couldn't go into thinking about being a grandfather. Right. I just want a girlfriend. Right. Okay. So that guy was fathering me. I'm going to tell you a story. There was a guy that I really looked up to in the Mennonite church. He had a little drinking problem. He had a Chevy 396 that could run any cop car. <laughs> now, I stood in front of his casket and he was dead. Oh my. He flipped the car six times, broke his neck, and I looked at him in front of that casket and I said, I'll never race over 90 mile an hour. And I never did. Every time I raced, 
I saw him. Mm-hmm. Now, he doesn't know that I was really thought he was cool. Mm-hmm. He taught me in a way nobody should teach anybody. That's right. But what I'm saying is, I never forgot what mm-hmm. he told me, and I knew right where it came from. And every time I raced, there would be guys that take we'd race out in the Holly Swamp, mm-hmm. and when it got to 80, 90, I'd take my foot off the gas and I let him go. Very interesting. Because he mentored me. What am I saying, leaders? The way you handle your life and what you do, yes. you don't think anybody even is noticing. Right. There will be people that say they will make life decisions based on yeah. the way you live, so what you chose. And I hope they don't have to learn from my mistakes. Correct. But I've learned from my mistakes, but, and I'm glad to share them. Right. But that doesn't guarantee per, a person will apply that and miss it. It just means when they make it, they'll know how to get out of it quicker. <laughs> <laughs> So good. Well, Dale, you have written four books. I um, mean, you're you you're, you train leaders in the body of Christ, and uh, one of your books that so has helped so many people is "And David Perceived He Was King." Talk to us about some of the concepts in that book. First of all, why do you write the book? And mm-hmm. then, secondly, talk to us about some things that if someone picks up this book, they're going to learn from that which you have learned from the Lord uh, through these concepts in these books. Yeah. Why'd you write the book? I was reading a scripture, and I find that what, what I read and I don't understand is God's invitation for more revelation. Okay. So I was reading the scripture, and I'm going to quote it to you, 2 Samuel 5, 12. Sure. And David perceived the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he, he had exalted his kingdom for his people's his people Israel's sake. So in other words, David perceived yes. the Lord had established him. I'm going to stop with there. Okay. Everything David did to this point, after he received it, it was taken. Mm. So think of this. David is overlooked by his own father when the king is chosen. And uh, some people believe that possibly David was conceived by a handmaid, not by Jesse's wife, because he said, in sin, I was conceived. So he would not have had a birthright under the Jewish culture. Mm. And I'm so glad that Jesus, in a sense, was born out of wedlock to break mm-hmm. that, yeah. take our curse Amen. and shame. And and I could get into that for a little bit, but I'm just saying that that David was chosen by God, but overlooked by his father. Wow. Your father's opinion of you does not always match God's opinion. That's right. And actually, if you want to go further, your opinion of you does not match God's either. That is true. I have found that when people put themselves down, they actually put the devil in the unemployment line. Please don't give him any help. Right. Jesus, Jesus created us out of his genius. We were created winners. We were not losers. That's right. We were created winners. Sin made us a loser. When we got born again, That's true. we got back our winning rights. So this is the deal. I am not damaged goods that Jesus, a loser that God's going to try to help somehow drag through life. I was created as a winner because I'm in his, his image and likeness and he is a winner, right? That's so very good. that winning annoy. So in it, I will have a genius, part of his genius somewhere in me mm-hmm. that when I go after him, it unlocks. Mm. I found that my, one of my greatest gifts was not unlocked till I was 60 and that's writing books. Well, that's amazing. So, uh, in this, what I'm saying to you, Larry, you're getting warmed up for, probably doing the best thing you've ever done in your life. Correct. 
I'm serious. Right. I mean it. Right. I mean, I think after 60, we really get good. Yeah. And I'm se- now 70, so I'm expecting a lot of good well, things. Well, that's, that's new wine. You're not quite old enough to be a Joshua and Caleb, but I'll pray you on through to your best days. So anyway, so doesn't that make you feel good about that's life? That's awesome. Okay. So, so in it, and I'm trying to go back. So what happened? So David, he literally kills Goliath, and then he's leading the armies. And then the armies are chasing him. Right. So everything. He was given uh, Saul's daughter in marriage for killing Goliath. But on his wedding day, she was given to another man, taken away. Uh, The money he was promised was never given uh, to him. Because when Michael went to marry David, he said, "I I don't have anything. Well, if Saul would have given him the money for killing Goliath, right. he, w- he could have said, I'm, right. I'm sort of loaded. Right, really. really <laughs> okay, so, so in this, what we see is when David became a king, you have to remember, when he was anointed at uh, Hebron mm-hmm. by Judah, mm-hmm. his own tribe, it started a civil war. How would you like part of your prophecy to come to pass, and the first <laughs> civil war erupts in the nation like, okay, right. this is really good. And after seven and a half years... Then finally, Israel comes down and agrees and makes him king. Right. So, and I, this is a part I want to say about David being king, and uh, and in it, he had to win over the house of Saul. Correct. Saul had died, but the spirit of Saul had not. Right. And so he had to he had to win, but he had to win gently because in the future he had to lead him. That's correct. So when you uh, are looking at people that are giving you a hard time, win as gently as possible, but you must win, David, because you will have to lead them in the future. That is good. Win in such a way that you can honor them into your destiny and future because we need the whole team. That's very, very good. That's excellent. Now, you deal, I, I have my understanding, a lot with identity in this book also. Yes. Right. Talk to us about that. Okay, so what most people want to do, they want God to change what's around them, their circumstances. Mm -hmm. God wants to change what's in us. Oh, that's good. Because if I see myself as a loser, but I see winning around me, it will not be long till my identity will produce a loss over what was my victory. That's true. So David had to go through actually identity shifts. He was the son of Jesse. Right. He was a shepherd. Correct. Then he had to move to being a musician. Now, he could have stopped there and cut about three good albums and been the best worship leader and not fulfilled his destiny. Right. Now, I want to remind you that success is a cheap imitation for destiny, but destiny always has success. That's good. But don't think success Say is that de- again. I love your one-liners. Don't think success means you've reached your destiny. Right. Billy Graham could have had the largest church in America his day if he'd have pastored, but mm-hmm. when he got to heaven, he'd say, you know, look, I had... 30,000 people. Nobody even had anything like that. And God scratched his head. I called you to evangelize the world. Do you think that I'm buying into this? Right. I made you to shake nations with the the gospel Mm. as an evangelist. Mm. And you settled for success instead of your call. Mm. So good. So so now, now this is a thought to think about this. If you don't see your identity the way God does, Mm -hmm. you will not sign up for the right assignments. Mm. This is so critical. That is good. Your identity determines your assignments. And whenever somebody gives you a promotion 
and you don't know why they chose you, that means actually they have a better opinion of you than you have of yourself. Wow. And you better catch up soon. That's good. Now, let's go back to David. Yes. He says, listen, I've killed the lion and the bear. This Goliath will be like one of them. Do you know that when David ran at Goliath, God ran at Goliath? That's really good. And and this is, I really believe this, when you start understanding that you live in his presence and his presence lives in you, you start daring risks Mm. while other people are trying to figure out how tall the giant is. (laughs) But really, for David to lose was God to lose. Yeah. This was way beyond David because David did not exalt his warrior ability. Mm. He exalted God. Mm. But yet he also said, and he said, through my hand. I mean, he talked about, he he was involved. And so he didn't just see God as a warrior. He saw God as a warrior inside of him. Right. And so that has to be a place of connection. Now, my famous line from the book is this, faith is what you believe God can do. Identity is what you believe he can do through you on ongoing succession, multiple situations. Right, right. See, Moses knew God could take the children of Israel out of Egypt. He just didn't believe he was the guy. Right, right. So so this is my favorite, one of my favorite lines is, after God shows him the burning bush, staff and serpent, he says, uh, um, Moses looks back up at God and says, could you get somebody else? (laughs) And what the scripture says is God burned with anger with Moses. Yeah. Now, yeah. why? Why does God get mad? Because God is stuck with Moses and Moses is stuck with God. There is no plan B. Right. He didn't say, well, I'm just going to get Aaron. Right. He said, no, I'm going to give Aaron to help you. Right. But Moses was saved from the water as a baby mm-hmm. to take Israel through the water, right, right. leaving the Red Sea, to call water out of the rock Correct. and to turn bitter water sweet. He was God's water man. And when Moses looked around, if he thought about it, no, there aren't very many males his age because they were all drowned That's in right. the water. Exactly. So exactly. it's like, I don't have very many playmates because, right. and God said, did I save you? for this purpose, and I really don't. And so I'm going to tell you why Moses became a friend of God. He didn't do what he didn't. He did for God what he didn't want to do. And God said, man, you must love me. You did what you didn't even want to do because you love me. And they became friends. Mm -hmm. Now, what's amazing to me even more is that at the end of Moses's life, as he gets in such a relationship, goes into the glory, he looks at the people and says, and God's going to send a prophet like me to you. Yes. That he so identified and yeah. had revelation yes. that he knew he was a foreshadow of Jesus all the way back mm-hmm. because he entered from a, the most reluctant prophet to an obedient servant that God had called. Wow. And that's obviously, that's a call of God in everyone's life to be understand the call of God, respond to the call of God, but walk in humility and walk in servanthood in the whole process. This is good. Any other concepts in this book that you want to share with us? And then we're going to let people, uh, I hope many, many people go out and buy this book. It's a great book. Any other leadership concepts you think, you yeah. say, I would want, if there's somebody sitting here right now, 20 years of age, and saying, I just want to learn about leadership and I want to obey Jesus and do what yeah. he's called me to okay. do, it's, what would you tell them? Okay, first of all, you will never fulfill your destiny if you don't help somebody else reach theirs. Oh, that's good. Jesus did not come to earth to win over the devil. He came so we could. 
Right. You don't need to go to places for you to win. You need to go to help other people win. That's so good. Now, the truth is, if you don't win, nobody will follow you. Mm -hmm. But if you, if the victory stops with you, you're like a one-time prophet like the guy at Nineveh. Yeah, exactly. He said, you know, what did he say? Jonah say? He said, you know, 40 days, yeah. judgment. They yeah. repent. He gets mad at God. He does. And God never uses him again. That's right. Because he had an assignment of God. He did not have the heart of God. Mm. Now, we don't know if he changed later on, but I don't want to be a one-time prophet. Right. I don't want to have a record that, look what happened. And uh, there's many things in there. But so the thing I love about David and Jesus, they raised up people that could do what they did. Correct. They were fathers. See, David was God's answer to Saul's lack of worship that mm -hmm. permeated Israel. Listen, until you reign in your sphere of authority, you will never change what's around you. David's worship helped him take down Goliath, but it never shifted the worship of Israel until he became king. Right. So when you start to rule, then what's in you mm -hmm. starts affecting everything else. If David would have waited until he became king to worship, it would have been too late. Because if you don't do it before you get there, you'll not do it after you're there. Boy, that's good. That is so good. So what I find is, and I'm going to go back to the prophecy again thing. A lot of times we have to understand in Acts 1, it said, I'll give you the power. And you, sh and you shall be my tongue talkers. No, it says you shall be my, my witnesses, witnesses. But don't you leave until you receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are actually made. They're the gifts. They're actually God's ability to witness his power to the unsaved. Right. To be a witness. It is not for 1020 to give a prophetic word every Sunday. Right. It's to minister by the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I feel the gifts of the Spirit are sort of like your toenails. If they don't reach out and they become ingrown, you won't like them after a, long, after right, a while because right. it's all ingrown. You know, I'm That's just, a great analogy. You know, so they need to reach out. So a lot of times before I go into a prophetic conference, I'll minister to people outside just to make sure I've not got religiousized right. because it'll, it'll keep it real. And if you don't keep it real, religion will come on you quicker than yes. you think because to me, when I prophesy to people, it is not uh, I'm very knowledgeable. I've activated thousands of people in the prophetic, mm -hmm. but it is still not a skill. It's an intimacy walk yes, with him. Yes. And I will never let it be reduced to uh, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. I always want it to be a tree of life. Yes. Yes. And if when people, people say, well, is it right or wrong? That's a tree of life. That's where the serpent climbs up. To me, is it life? That's right. And so, so many people, when they judge prophecy, they want to know, well, what was this detail right? That detail right? What I want to know is, did it give life? Yes. Did it give yeah. hope? Exactly. Exactly. So these are things awesome. that... So helpful. That, and also, just ending, you asked this, and I'll make this comment. Sure. And I like what Bishop Bill Hammond said. He said, he said to a group of pastors, sure. he said, I, if, you wanna, if I want to find out how good of a preacher you are, I will sit you down and I'll have the people sat under you for 10 and 15 years get up and I want to know what they know because that'll tell me how good you That's are. That's good. That's and good. what can they do right. that you do? And David raised up mighty men who killed Goliath. Mm -hmm. He broke the mindset mm -hmm. That being shorter meant you were defeated. Right, right. He he created a mindset means bigger 
how can you miss? That's right. <laughs> okay. So, but that was in his leadership. Jesus raised us up. He said, the works I do, you will do. Exactly. And even greater. Even greater. And, and so, you know, in one sense, you're not going to see it greater than Lazarus being dead, raised from the dead. But I think it means even in more ways. We don't know that Jesus ever healed anybody through his shadow, but he did it through Peter. That's right. He, That's good. We don't know that he actually took pieces of cloth and sent them. We know the woman touched the hem of his garment. Right. But through Paul, he said, why don't you just cut these up and send them? And I'd like yeah. to do miracles a different way through you, Paul. So right. I want to end with this thought. God will not share his glory with any man. Right. We know that's true. Jesus prayed, Lord, the glory I have, give to them. So what's the deal? This is the deal. To do the God stuff, I need to receive the glory that Jesus had between the Father. Correct. But after it comes, can I still give him all the glory? Amen. Or will I be like Achan, start hiding something under my tent? Mm -hmm. And I find that after the most amazing meetings I have, if I lift up my hand and give him all the glory, I'll get more glory for the next yes. meeting. But if I think, you know, I am really getting good at this. <laughs> All of a sudden, That's the, the anointing signal. starts to fall right. because I move from having something instead of having him. Yes. And an idol is only something good out of order. Mm. I, I thank God for my wife, but if I worship my wife, it's an right. idol. That's right. That's right. You hear what I'm saying? I hear you. You know, I've known you for many years and appreciate your, your humility and your your heart for Jesus. It's your heart just to connect with him, and that's what's important. And you've shared that throughout this whole podcast. And your book, And David Perceived He Was King, great book. I'd encourage anyone to pick that up. Great, filled with realities and truth about leadership and about identity that's so important. And uh, where can, if someone wants to get this book, I'm assuming Amazon or any, play, any uh, place where people buy books? A lot of outlets. Also, if you go on the web at dalemast.org, that's okay. D-A-L-E. M-A-S-T, like on a ship, mast.org. Especially bulk books, like sure. over 10, we'll give a discount. Sure. And, uh, but otherwise, probably just the outlets of your favorite. Sure. And that website will get us, anybody wants to know more about you and what God's yeah. doing with you or connecting with you, they can, they can check out that website. And that'll be on the show notes at, at, at the bottom. So thank you, Dale, for joining me today. We learned, I learned so much again. I learned some new things that I've never heard you say before. It was really helpful. And again, this is the Larry Carter Leadership Podcast, where we are just learning those simple things in leadership that can make massive differences in people's lives. So thank you for joining us today for this Leadership Podcast podcast and we've got many more coming as we have these continual conversations on leadership may god receive the glory dale one last thing you know how i know you're a leader how do you know because people that follow you become leaders oh, that's that's and that is the fruit mm -hmm. that you don't argue with and i just want to say that i want to honor you as a leader who's raised up leadership in the people, I see it around your organization, and I believe that's why Dove Fellowship International mm. will be a very healthy, because you have put that DNA mm. within it, and I thank God for you. Well, thank you. We believe in the Elijah, Elisha anointing, you know, the double portion of the next generation. We're blessed to work with many leaders that I believe are going far ahead of us. So thank you again for being on this Amen. podcast today. God bless you, and God bless all of you who join us. And we look forward to seeing you in the future as we join together for leadership conversations as we meet with key leaders in the body of Christ.
Thank you for listening to Larry Kreider's Leadership Podcast. If you want more information about any of Larry's books, daily devotionals, small group resources, or any other teachings, go to LarryKreider.com.